Our scripture reading this morning is from John chapter 16. Jesus and his disciples are at the Last Supper, and Jesus has quite a long um, monologue and quite a long, long uh, talk with his disciples uh, concerning various things that uh, fill up the pages of chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17. And we're just going to pick it up in the middle of chapter 16. And before we do so, let's ask the Lord for a blessing upon the reading and the opening of his word. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. This is the day that you have made. We rejoice and are glad in it. And we are but one small body of believers gathered for worship this morning. But your people are gathered all around the globe. And for that we give you thanks. Because we remember that this is the day Christ rose again from the dead but even beyond the resurrection we know Lord Jesus that you ascended and so as we think about that this morning and as we think about what you Lord Jesus said to the disciples and by extension to all of us in this particular portion of scripture we pray that you would give us understanding and that you would cause us to celebrate the ascension and even as we are gathered here for worship in this place, we think of the All-Ontario Youth Convention uh, at Wilfrid Laurier and the worship service that they are holding this morning. May your spirit guide and lead and move in that service as well, as well as this one. To you be the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John 16, beginning at verse 5, where Jesus said, Now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asks me, Where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. The word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the Ascension story is probably one of the most overlooked events on the Christian calendar. In some parts of the world, as some of you may know, 
Ascension Day is marked by a national holiday. When I was a kid, I remember in Holland that it was a national holiday and we would all go to church on Ascension Day. In Haiti, when we lived there for the year as a family, Ascension Day is a national holiday. Nothing happened on Ascension Day except that people went to church to celebrate and to worship our God. What a wonderful concept. After all, the events of the Ascension are vitally important and they are worth celebrating. The events we're considering this morning actually bring us much closer to the completion of God's plan of salvation. There's only one step left in that plan, and that is the anticipated return of Jesus Christ. The testimony of Scripture is that Jesus, the very Son of God, was born, He suffered, He died, He rose from the dead, and He ascended into heaven. Now, the fact that Jesus was born is something we celebrate usually with quite some effort. We celebrate because Jesus' birth tells us the unique message of the Christian faith, namely that God is with us, Emmanuel. Christmas is the celebration that Jesus, God, took on our flesh and blood and walked among us, becoming like us in every way. He tabernacled among us. And that's important and worth celebrating because it meant that the Lord fully identified with us in every way. He had to become fully human in order to pay for our very human sins. Now, besides celebrating Jesus' birth, we commemorate his death. And so on Good Friday, we usually gather to remember how Jesus became the curse for us and how he took upon himself our sin and shame. Each of the events build on the other to make a complete story. Because then on Easter Sunday, we rejoice in the fact that we serve a risen, living Savior, a, sin, a Savior who has overcome sin and death by rising from the dead. We rejoice with great gusto that the grave could not keep him. And so through Jesus' resurrection, Death has lost its sting for the believer. And through Jesus' resurrection, we have eternal life. The realities that we celebrate at Christmas, at Good Friday, and at Easter are wonderful, and they're exciting, and they're necessary for our salvation. But so is this next step. And that's why we're considering it this morning, namely that after he told the disciples of number, a number of things as they were gathered on the Mount of Olives, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Jesus ascended. By the way, like Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection, the ascension of Jesus Christ is a historical fact witnessed by stunned disciples the bible tells us that 40 days after jesus rose from the dead he took his disciples up on the mount of olives and as they were looking on as they were looking at him he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight now when he ascended 
we should note that he was not beamed up like people are beamed from place to place in the Star Trek films, where their molecules are scattered about space and then brought back together again, at least that's the hope. Nor was the ascension some grand heavenly illusion. He didn't dematerialize or evaporate. He ascended. He arose, he lifted up from the earth with a body, a real body, and not with a jetpack either, with a real body, one which casts shadows, one which made sounds when he walked through gravel, one which ate fish, as we saw last Sunday, and with one which Thomas actually touched, leading him to the confession, my Lord and my God. Jesus ascended with a glorified body which was perfect and free from all earthly limitations, but nonetheless a very real Jesus, whom if you would have really punched hard, he would have fallen over probably. A very real Jesus left this earth and ascended into heaven. Now granted, like the resurrection, this may be something that's pretty difficult for us to understand with our scientific minds, since in doing so, of course, since in rising from the earth, Jesus defied all the laws of gravity. And yet the Bible simply, simply records it as a fact of history. Jesus ascended. And it's a fact that we're called upon to accept by faith. We just said it. What do we mean when we say in the Apostles' Creed, he ascended into heaven, asked the catechism in question 46, and the answer is quite straightforward. Jesus simply lifted off the earth. He went up from earth to heaven as the disciples watched. And as we open the scriptures to the Gospel of John this morning, we hear Jesus telling the disciples that it was to their advantage that he depart this earth and leave them behind. Verse 7, but I tell you the truth, it's for your good that I'm going away. It's for your benefit, disciples, to use the words of the Heidelberg Catechism, question answer 49. It's for your benefit, disciples, that I remove myself from a close personal presence with you. In fact, I got news for you. It would be detrimental to you and to the church if I would stay in my physical presence here in Israel. I must leave and leave physically. Actually, in spite of the fact that the disciples didn't want Jesus going anywhere, they wanted to hang on to him, there was never any notion on the part of Jesus to stay here on earth as it is now forever. Jesus came to die. He came to leave. It never was his intention to stay with the disciples for the rest of their life and with us in the way that he did. Jesus had to take his rightful place at the right hand of the Father. Besides, Jesus said, you're going to benefit from my departure. So that's the question that remains. So of what profit? Of what advantage or what benefit was it for the disciples and for us that he ascended into heaven? That's the question 
of, of Heidelberg Catechism, question 49. In other words, so what? What's the big deal with the ascension or with the worth ascension day? Why is this an event worth celebrating and what's in it for us? Well, in verse 7 of John 16, Jesus gave his disciples perhaps the greatest reason for leaving. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. One of the reasons why the ascension of Jesus was so important had to do with the companion gift of the coming of the Holy Spirit. That we're going to celebrate next week in the Pentecost. Jesus does not explain here why the Spirit cannot come unless the Son departs and goes home. But the order of events was necessary in God's plan of salvation. Unless Jesus would physically leave this place, the Spirit could not come. Pentecost could not take place. The ascension of Jesus, then, was a public declaration that his work on earth was accomplished, that his work on earth was completed. The work begun in human flesh had ended. It was time for him to return to heaven and to pick up the reins of power and to begin directing the church through the work of the Holy Spirit. And as soon as Jesus returned to the position of power at the right hand of the Father, he was able to give the Spirit to his own. He was able to pass on his power to the church. As one person put it, quote, without his power, we remain as aimless as an unattached wheel. But through the Holy Spirit, God's will becomes our will. His aim becomes ours. Or as the Catechism put it, by the Spirit's power, we make the goal of our lives not earthly things, but the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. The same question that Paul asked of the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15 begs to be asked of the ascension. The question that he asked of the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15 was, just imagine Jesus did not rise from the dead. Just imagine there was no resurrection. Just imagine that didn't take place. Then what? Well, that means that your and my faith is vain, is useless. It's a mess. It's hopeless. And we're of all people most to be pitied because we put our hope in something which isn't real. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Well, what had happened? What, if, what would have happened if Jesus had stayed on earth? Suppose he had postponed the ascension indefinitely. Suppose that he had decided that he couldn't leave behind such a needy, weak, unreliable group of men as the disciples were. Suppose that he had stayed and continued to teach the disciples concerning the mysteries of the kingdom. What would have happened if Jesus had not ascended? Well, for one, the result probably would have been precisely as it was then. The disciples wouldn't have grown very much in their faith, nor would they have had the power or the courage to preach like they did after Pentecost. 
Had Jesus stayed, they probably would have continued to be just as confused, just as misunderstanding as they were throughout the three years that they spent with Jesus. Suppose Jesus had died, arose, but did not descend, and did not ascend. Well, the disciples would have continued to live as they did. Probably would have continued to live as they did, clustered behind closed, locked doors for fear of the Jews and fear of the Romans. And then when he did appear, they probably would have clung to him like cultists cling to a guru. Had Jesus not ascended, the disciples would have remained dependent upon him, never daring to venture away from him. And they certainly would not have done what they in fact did do, namely spread the gospel around the world. If Christ had not ascended and Pentecost never come, we would have only known Jesus as the leader of a breakaway Jewish sect that flourished briefly in the first century. Jesus' ascension guaranteed that Christianity was not a local religion, not a Middle Eastern Jewish religion, but it guaranteed that Christianity would be a worldwide communion, a worldwide body with each person having equal access to the head of the body, namely Jesus Christ through the working of the Holy Spirit. Surely that's worth celebrating. Besides this, Jesus' ascension also moved the Christian's hope from earth to heaven, as the Heidelberg Catechism suggests in Lord's Day 18. If Jesus were still on earth, and he was our Lord, and he was our all, he was, you know, we all, that's all we need, we sang somewhere along the thing, we would want to stay here. And we wouldn't want to die because one would indeed wonder about a heaven with no presence of Christ. However, as it is, the Bible tells us Jesus has gone on ahead of us. And he's preparing a place for us. In my Father's house are many rooms, John 14, verse 1. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And in the high priestly prayer found in John 17, Jesus prayed that his friends may be where he is, that they may join him. And by that term, friends, Jesus meant all those whom the Father had given him, all those who believe. This prayer of Jesus is fulfilled and possible because of the ascension. Actually, it's guaranteed through the ascension. As the Catechism puts it, because of the ascension, we have our own flesh in heaven. Remember, Christ, flesh and blood, Jesus ascended. A guarantee that Christ, our head, will take us, his members, to himself in heaven. And this is, that's precisely why the Apostle Paul could state without hesitation that for him to die was gain. Gain, because once he had died, he would be safe in the arms of Jesus. And the ascension of Jesus is a guarantee of that. 
a guarantee of what we think about every time we're at a funeral when a Christian dies. We say, that person, safe in the arms of Jesus, it's so because he ascended. Surely, that's worth celebrating. And then the Catechism adds yet another benefit of the ascension based on Romans 8, 34. Jesus, the ascended Lord, now pleads our cause in heaven in the presence of his Father. He intercedes for us at the right, right in the throne room of heaven. 1 John 2, 1 talks about Jesus as being our advocate in heaven, one who speaks to the Father in our defense. You see, Jesus not only died to forgive us our sins, but he also reaps the fruits of his sacrifice, as one writer. He gives us a favored position with the Father. Jesus sticks up for us. He's our mediator, necessary because of our sinfulness. And there's a great comfort in this fact for the believer and a fact worth celebrating. After all, poor sinners that we are, we need all the grace and all the help we can get. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, it's for your good that I'm going away. It's for your benefit and for your good that the ascension took place. Why? Jesus' ascension mean, meant sending of the Holy Spirit into the world. It meant the growth of the church. Jesus' ascension guarantees that we'll also go to heaven to be with him, like him. And finally, as ascended Lord, he intercedes for us before the Father. Ascension Day is an exciting day. This is worth celebrating. This is worth having great fun with. One final note. You know, it's often said absence is an ingredient in the process by which closeness develops. That's the way it should read. Some have put it this way, absence makes the heart grow fonder. It's often precisely because we are separated that it is the loving memory of a family or a, a friend, a family member or a friend or a community that makes us want to be in touch with them once again. Those who have lost a loved one at times ache to be able to see or to talk with that loved one again. So with the church, so with the body of believers, as time goes on and Jesus tarries, the expectation, the desire, the excitement for Jesus' return builds, at least it ought to. We ought to be a people sitting at the edge of our seat saying, Lord, come back. We long to see you. We long to touch you. We long to be where you are. And of course, there is but one step left among all the events in the plan of salvation that we celebrate each year, and that's the return of Christ. That's the return of that day that we will see him face to face. And so as the Apostle John closes Revelation, the last book of the Bible, he leaves us, us with a prayer that in a sense becomes the prayer of the church longing to see her Savior come Lord Jesus, 
The Bible often refers to the church as the bride and refers to Jesus as the bridegroom, both preparing for the great wedding feast. And like any engaged couple knows and experiences a time of waiting for the actual wedding, can, time could become, it becomes rather long and a time which the couple wishes the time would move faster because they want to be married. And so it is with the church, the bride of Christ since the ascension. We are waiting for the bridegroom to come. And we are waiting some more. And it seems to take so long. And the world seems to be such a mess. And life sometimes is so painful. And so the prayer of the church is, Come, Lord Jesus. Come. Let us see you face to face. Make all things new. Come, bridegroom. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the ascension. What an incredible event. How strange it is with our scientific minds to think that someone actually just kind of lifted up from this earth, defying gravity. But how exciting. We look forward to the day when you come again, Lord Jesus. The ascension guarantees it, that that day will come. The ascension fills us with great comfort and encouragement. We praise you, O Lord, for this wonderful, wonderful gospel. We crown you, O Lord, as king, and we long to see you in Jesus' name. Amen.